Welcome to the first Australian Athletic Podcast of 2021. Still haven't got any intro music, so you're just going to have to listen to the sound of my voice for the first little bit. Now, we've made a goal as a team here, so we're going to be looking to do at least, at least one podcast every fortnight, if not once a week. So let's start it off with our first one for the year. We've got Adam. Hey. Reese. Hey. Jazz. Hello. And myself doing a podcast uh, today for you. We really need to work on our intros, but hopefully we'll have some good content for you today. Adam, what are we going to be discussing today, man? So we're talking about uni students and the things that they're lacking in terms of what they get taught at uni and then sort of trying to fill that gap with our internship or not necessarily just our internship but in general. What's the things they can learn that fill the gap between a uni degree and then practice and being a competent SNC coach? Awesome. So if you guys aren't aware, we actually have quite a few university and tertiary studying students that come through here, either through Flinders, UniSA, uh, Charles Sturt University, some through AIPT and some on their own accord that hit us up and want to get their hours done. And we've seen quite a few students come in with the same challenges, some with a few different challenges. And today we're going to touch on what really universities miss and what we think that students need to take out of their own time to do on top of what they do with their uni work to leave them best prepared once they do finish their studies so they can go into industry and actually be competent at what they do so they're not having to make the mistakes whilst they're getting paid for a job or trying to get paid as a contractor somewhere. So let's kick it off. Number one. Biggest thing we found was is it's like a the broad category of programming, which then you can kind of zoom in and out of different parts of it. But we've talked about writing long term programs rather than like a lot of them can write a workout, broadly speaking, that will work, if you will. But then writing a week's worth of programs for an athlete, a month's worth of programs, a year, a multi year plan, it's it's they don't get the chance to do that at unis and the unis don't seem that interested in teaching that. And I wonder if that's the gap between an exercise science degree where they're trying to prepare students for fucking 18 different jobs, most of which they won't get, or whether we need something a bit more specialized, whether it's a stream or a major within a degree or a straight up strength and conditioning undergrad degree, where you can go, all right, this is a fundamental part of your job. You need to learn how to do this. Because at the moment, the ex-science degrees across unis that I've worked with here in Melbourne, in the US, they just don't teach it. It's just not there. From my experience as well, they give general recommendations to give to the average healthy person, but the average person isn't usually completely healthy yeah. or they have a specific goal that would go contrary to what the general recommendations that actually benefit. Well, I mean, here at the table, there's two different exercise science degrees. I don't know what your experience was like, but at UniSA, it's for strength, do two to five sets of two to five reps. What the fuck? That's not, you can't. You can't come out and use that information. That's crap. Mine was pretty similar as well. It's just certain certain rep schemes for certain adaptations. And that's literally it. There's no... You're not given or helped with to develop your own database of exercises, what improves what, what you should do for what. Just this is for power, this is for strength, this is for hypertrophy. And that's barely half a step more useful than if you want to get stronger lift weights. Cool. I think what unis need to do a better job of as well is getting students to practice this stuff themselves. Um... You know, if you're writing programs, you're periodizing programs, what better way than starting a three-year degree than your first course being, hey, start programming for yourself. Yeah. Here's free gym access at the uni. Go write yourself a program. Go run it. See what works. See what doesn't work. Train with a friend. And then you've got three years of your degree to, A, learn about what you're passionate about, and B, periodize for yourself. For sure. Even then, just find some programs online. I think... We, we all did it when we first started training. Research, like, research and read about different programs, run them for yourself and see how they go. Run Smolov, see how that feels. Run DUP, see how that feels. Run anything and just see how it goes, see how it goes for you. If it works well, maybe that's something you can put in the bank for later. If it doesn't go well, then you know it's not something to I use. I think that's a really good point. We've touched on that on like Instagram. We've talked about it a lot here. Why aren't people training themselves? Like I can't rationalize. I try and think about everything from multiple perspectives, but I cannot rationalize why you are in an exercise science degree and not training. I cannot work that out for the life of me. If you want to be in that degree and you want to future be in that industry, why aren't you training? It doesn't make sense to me. We live in a world where we're afraid to tell people what to do. And I think universities, they don't have the 
Will or they want to attract more people so they're not going to be looking to say, by the way, to get into this degree, a prerequisite is that you have to exercise. I'd love to be in that world. Unfortunately, it probably won't exist. But that's why we see when students are actually training themselves or involved in some kind of sport, some kind of training, and then they come in here for placement, they're way ahead, miles it's ahead. It's the biggest unfair advantage we've seen with the interns. Like straight up, we've got one at the moment who's doing a great job. She trains. It's literally the only thing she's done that other ones haven't done is train. And the... Even with her one-on-one -on -one interactions with another client, she's miles ahead of where other ones are that don't train. And by training, like it doesn't have to be anything, you don't have to have lifted or sprinted or whatever, you just have to have done something. I think adding on to that as well is go get coaching. Yeah. This, this um, intern that Adam's talking about, she gets one-on-one -on -one coaching. So she knows what it's A like to be the client and now she's learning what it's like to be the yeah, coach. She sure. gets both ends. And honestly, if you can't afford one-on-one -on -one coaching, there's a million different programs you can find online that are for free. You Word. literally go Google Power Program, you'll come up with a million different results. I think I ran different types of DeFranco's, probably about 10 of his workouts within the course of a month. Should I have been changing programs up that much? No, but I wanted to see what he could do. I was that fascinated, that interested. And I think you need to have that passion with you if you really want to learn the ins and outs of programming and go from there. And it's just a great way to sift out the shit that is Yeah. There's shit programs out there. And you and should you, put yourself yeah, you, through them so yeah. you can learn yeah, what a shit, shit program programs. looks and feels like. My training now, I will admit, most of my training is shit and that's because that's how I like to train myself. But I know I'm not going to do that with anyone. I like, know I'm not going to make anyone run Smolov and make them squat four times I was going to say, you named Smolov before. You and I have both run that. I ran it twice and broke twice before I got through it the third time. You learn, okay, maybe this is unsustainable for almost everybody except and especially athletes it's the same with programs periodization exercises work like work to rest ratios try them out and see how see how they are yeah i find out how 30 seconds on 30 seconds off feels feels shit in my second internship i had another coach working alongside me write a program and it was just flagrantly obvious to even the players who had barely trained before that the guy writing this program had never done anything that looked like this program because when you're writing sets of 10 in the bench press with a bar for 15, 16 year old soccer players who can barely bench press the bar and then sets of 10 reactive med ball chest pass, come on now, <laughs> like you've yeah. got to train yourself and you'll get rid of those, like we all make mistakes at the start, but you can get rid of the whole first phase of shitty mistakes yeah. by training yourself. What's one thing Mickey does for interns? He's made Reese and I both do it in a class because we wrote it and just to make sure we can do it and we're not blowing it out the water. Matters do it. Yep. If Try you ask the majority of, honestly, majority of people that go to the gym, what three exercises would they say are the most important? Squat, bench, and deadlift. Absolutely. The big three. They're fantastic lifts in their own right. But from us experience it ourselves, coaching and actually engaging with athletes, we barely make any of our field-based athletes or any of our sporting athletes squat, bench, or deadlift, or at least put some variation in there instead. Why? Because they're literally broken by the time they get in the field. How are we meant to know that unless we actually put that in practice, whereas we're being told to, by the way, you've got to do the biggest compound movements because they're going to get the best results. Yes, they will. They also have to fatigue the shit out of someone that has other commitments too. Correct. And I think like that's a that's a really major limitation of the unis because I've done the ECU masters and you go learn from one particular teacher and it's everyone has to clean everyone has to back squat it's like i don't believe that bro because i've been with athletes and for a bunch of different reasons which you can go into if i'm making guys that are a league team back squat heavy one i'm spending my whole week arguing as to why the hell i'm doing that with them and the coach and then two when they can't run the next day i'm having another argument about why i should keep my job because this whole uni one-sided thing of everyone must back squat is crappy advice. And judging from what I've seen from teacher in question, I don't think he's tried to sprint in the better part of 60 years. So if you're a student, you can take that two ways. Blame the university for not teaching you all that. And honestly, university should step up their game in that department. They should be teaching more program. But secondly, get your ass in the gym. Don't be waiting for universities to change. I'm telling you right now, you can get a gym membership much quicker than a university will change. I've got a contact who is involved with setting the program for the whole degree and that boat takes a while to turn around and I'll match trying, but it's not happening fast. So you got to work your own ways around it. Like the, you can't expect the uni program to be all encompassing. It's not, that's not the nature of it. It's not even meant to be like that. You got to fill in some gaps yourself. I think it's worth mentioning a lot of the time 
when we have exercise science students come along and they haven't had that gym experience, sometimes you can compare them to if we all, we all know personal trainers that we're mates with that are in, with the industry. And if you compare the two, a lot of the time, the personal trainers who have been in the gym, have been around people, have programmed, made bad programs, they will come, they will come out better on top in terms of what they can get out of people. Mm, for sure. Definitely. I mean, especially like, I think when I've had people say to me and the further I've gone, the more I've got into this, like, I think this is the best advice. Like, and Mickey said this heaps of times on Instagram, on posts, on everything we've done get out and get practical coaching experience alongside training yourself because now you've doubled your experience you're coaching other people and you shouldn't be training the same way like you're not them so you shouldn't train the clients just like you train yourself because that's negligent maybe they'll overlap but they're not you go get experience with people who aren't like you like we've all trained old people young people kids injured people whatever all of those things are going to build an experience body alongside training yourself so then you can come out and go, all right, I've seen this before, I've seen that before. And even if you haven't seen it, you can draw on things here and there. So if you can, like a lot of schools now are offering Cert 3 in fitness during school. If you can do that, get your Cert 4 between school and uni and then coach through uni. If your heart's set on being an S&C coach, by the time you're in third year and doing placement, you've got two years experience coaching, hopefully at least two years experience training yourself. You're so far ahead of everybody else, it's not even a contest anymore. I would argue it doesn't have to be coaching in the gym. It can be any type of coaching, sport coaching. Sport coaching, anything. I started doing Auskick. Yeah. Go do any sort of coaching and it all helps. It all accumulates I'd into experience. That, that's really important and that's going to help you in different ways and probably more important ways than a lot of the gym stuff you're going to do because you're going to learn to try and interact with kids that don't want to listen to you. And they're unruly and they're difficult and learning to cope with that. When you come back to adult teams or older kids teams or anything like that, it's going to feel easy because you've learned way more difficult skills than, hey, Jazz, I need you to do this for me. And Jazz goes, okay, sure. Yeah. We currently have an intern that we've been coaching for the past six years. He's currently studying exercise science. He's currently working at AFL Max and he's currently engaged in training himself. Another year and a half and this kid's going to be a monster. Yeah. We want to see what comes out of that. That's what I mean. Like at that point with coaching experience, training experience and the degree, compare that to someone who's got like, and I was one of these kids. I worked it out real late. I've just, I'm trying to help people not make my mistakes. I didn't start coaching until I was in third year uni. And there were dudes that had two years, three years experience by that point. And they're so far ahead of me. And you get in the gym with them, watch them coaching. You're like, I am nowhere near this guy's quality. I would chuck in there as well, sporting experience. Not not being a great athlete or anything, but having your own, your own experience of playing sport. Yeah. And for me personally, I think that helps me realise with my program what makes you better at playing sport. I think as well, like in terms of the soft skills, having if you've played sport, regardless of what level, regardless of what sport, where you've been coached by someone, you're gonna have good coaches, bad coaches. When you have athletes, athletes are gonna vent to you in the gym, that's just a natural part of the job. When they talk about a dumb coach or a good coach, then you, you can actually level with them. Because like in here, I played soccer, Mickey played volleyball, you played everything, and Reese fought. But we can all relate to good coach, bad coach. This style doesn't work, that style does work. You know what I mean? Like that experience is so powerful because you go, if nothing else, I'm not going to do what this coach I hated did. Yeah. On top of coaching as well, coaching is great, but also starting early or doing something early helps you learn how to build networks and relationships yeah. which on i mean coaching is great being at a coach is fantastic but you can be a good coach great at networking and building relationships and you'll go far beyond someone's an excellent coach that's but a good point yeah i think if you're applying for a job somewhere yeah you can get contract roles but if you're applying to be an employee somewhere if your holy grail is that you have an exercise science degree you are not going anywhere i think yeah Keir's done a really good job of that like if, if you we need to get rid of the myth yesterday that you get an exercise science degree and you get a job. That's not reality. It would be nice if it was, but I got 150 cover letters that never got responses still saved on my computer that'll tell you that's not the real world. Like you aren't going to get a degree and get a job without a network, without knowing people. That's the whole point of internships. That's why the AFL internships at unis are so sought after because you get to be in the room with the guys who give the jobs at that level and now you're in pole position 
and you're not going to get a job from just knowing your stuff. You're going to get a job by having these guys like you. Unfortunately, there's there's enough exercise science graduates that are coming out just on averages. There's a shitload of people coming out who know their stuff. You're not you don't you're not different if you're good. Like there's a lot of people who are real smart. And I've seen guys come out with six point something something GPAs for crap coaches on the floor, and that's why the experience is so important. And if you manage to get one of those AFL internships or professional club wherever you are, like you've got to be able to go in there and then do it. And that's why that previous experience coaching yourself because if you go in there and make a negative impression, that shit sticks and it's a small industry. So you got to protect your reputation. You got one chance. That's yeah. why it's important to start early as well because you want to go in and if you have the opportunity, you've got to show innovation as well. You don't have, you should, can't be doing what everyone else was doing 10 years ago. You've got to go in and be innovative and show that you've got something else that someone else doesn't have. Massively. I think that probably ties into something else we've talked about as well, like with finding information, implementing information, when you're young and inexperienced and like the unis have a massive bias towards peer-reviewed research. I don't know about you three, but when I went through, it was like no research older than 10 years, none of this, none of that, blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, a lot of what's trendy in SNC at the moment was written by the Russians in the mid seventies, but you're telling me I can't use that even though it looks like the latest stuff because peer-reviewed research is important. That's cool. I'm all for it, but to, to it's a guide. stringently stick to this bullshit virtue signaling argument of I'm peer, uh, sorry, I'm evidence-based. In SNC, it's just a way of being proud of being 10 years behind. Yeah, you're way behind. Like if you're relying on peer-reviewed research to justify everything you do, you're fucking joking. Like, and we're working in an industry where the people writing these articles aren't out on the field practicing it. Correct. And if you look at the, there are a handful at best of researchers who are straddling both worlds and i could probably tell you them in the next like four seconds a lot of them aren't and it shows when you speak to these people that they use terms like in the trenches and that to justify <laughs> the fucking crappy stuff they're coming out with because they want to justify that no one who's in in the trenches has to tell you they're in the fucking trenches because they'll tell you that when you're in the gym they're not going to be sitting in a uni classroom telling you about all these programs they've written 25 years ago so don't get caught in the evidence-based trap. Everything's got to be evidence-based because it's 10 years behind. If that turns out in a couple of years, what you've been doing has then been vindicated by the research. Awesome. But you can't wait for that. One thing I always think about is, can you? is there ever actually going to be peer-reviewed research about everything you do in the gym to help everyone be better? There no, is, no, there never will because there's just way too many variables to consider. There's way too much research to consider. It will cost way too much money and way too much time. It'll never happen. Something that no one seems to be saying is that like we, I'm all for science. I'm the biggest like science believer I know, but you got to go in with the understanding of what the limitations of the scientific method are. And it's boiling it down to one variable. You can't do that with sports performance. It's not very well. No. So you can't peer review everything because... If you submit a paper and you're trying to look at 10 variables, which is what sports performance is really like, no one's going to accept the paper. They're just going to boot it because you've got too many variables. And there's, there's plenty of peer-reviewed research out there that when put into practice, like, they'll, they'll, um, they'll confirm their hypothesis, but in practice, it just doesn't work. The Nordic argument, isn't it? Squatting isn't going to make me faster. Squatting isn't going to make a lot of my athletes faster, so I don't do it. Yeah, I mean, like I got told at ECU that power cleans make you faster, and there was no room for argument on that. But there's other guys in the prac who are with clubs and with teams and that that you would just never, ever get them to power clean. It's like, okay, cool. So thanks for that recommendation. I can't use that. I can't get half my half my dudes to power clean. It's just not going to happen. And we're in one of the most accepting environments of an, an idea like that. If you went to a lot of your guys and said, I want you to power clean, a good percentage of them would be like okay cool teach me yeah some of the guys i was with in perth they can't do that their guys are gonna go fuck off i'm not doing that and, and if you're arguing with footballers who are on 15 million pound a year you, you can't argue with that yeah there's no chance you just it doesn't work you're that gonna way. get chewed up yeah and on top of that if you're you know you're working with other coaches if you go to your to the football skills coach and be like oh here's this peer-reviewed research that's the gold standard that assault bike intervals are going to increase everyone's fitness and then they're fighting with their 40 years of experience of, nah, I'm going to make them run. Yeah, and they're the one that hire you. It, what, are you going to fight that and then lose your job? Yeah. Just because it was period. Are you going to die on that hill because Samazino said so. That's not a knock on Samazino. He's really good. But, like, good luck with that one at a, a, a boxing coach who's 40 years. Like, if you went to MSU and say to Jim Makovsky, who's won 
75% of his wrestling matches over a 25-year coaching career. You need to stop doing that and start doing this because so-and-so said so. He's just going to laugh in your face and then sack you. Yeah, true. And then you're burning your bridges. That was a, that was a big rabbit hole. I think we all just like enjoy a discussion. So we'll move on to the, the next part of what else do we find that unis don't give students before they come here for an internship or a placement? I think an understanding of like it's still semi-programming like we started with but like progressing from simple to then complex like we've all seen interns come in and part i don't know if it's the uni so much as inexperience but the i want to write a super complex program to show these people how smarter i am and then you know we've seen it where we're writing super advanced athletic development concepts for like general population clients so saying like up. when to implement those advanced training techniques yeah. and what's actually considered an advanced training technique and this i think this ties really much into why you got to train yourself because if you're like a 19 year old kid who's never lifted weights and you're trying to put french contrast on yourself you're going to learn pretty quickly why you shouldn't do that and then you're not going to do that when you've got a 16 year old athlete and you're riding the poor kid french contrast and yeah. just nuking him just quickly for anyone listening, what exactly is French contrast and why do we not use it with youth athletes? French contrast, to really oversimplify, is a big compound done heavy, let's say a back squat, then a plyo that mimics that movement pattern, let's say a depth jump, then a loaded jump that mimics the first movement pattern, let's say a barbell squat jump, and then an accelerated plyo that mimics the same movement pattern we're stuck with, let's say a band-assisted vertical jump. So it's a really, really effective tool for increasing athleticism in already advanced athletes. 16-year-old athletes are so full of growth and, if they're male especially, testosterone, they're going to keep flying anyway. You don't need to use a massive taxing method like that because you'll rob them now and you'll rob them later when you try and use that because you need it and it doesn't work anymore because you've already desensitized to them. So touching on that, what the uni could do better is teach the students the law of diminishing returns. Well, that too, I think as well, like I never got exposed to any of those cool, let's call it that, like those advanced methods that people think are sexy. Then you come out and you learn and you're like, I want to try that because I've never seen that before. And then you throw in French contrast at a 16 year old kid. If they learned that first and the uni went, okay, this is when you would use this. This is why it's unnecessary with teenagers. This is why you could use it with a 28 year old who's on the national team. Then there's maybe a bit of exposure to it. But in that programming sense, like we talked about the what they're taught, what they're exposed to is so shallow that none of that's exposed. And then they come out and it's like, I want to try that one, try that. And then we've got, you know, people talking about putting banded barbell squat jumps in a general population class at night. It's like, don't do that to them. Like, that's not going to go well. They just need to learn the when and where. Let's let them goblet squat and they'll continue to get better. You know what I mean? So I think that I wrote it down as overcomplicating shit is a big problem coming out of uni. It comes out, yeah. Being able to pro- provide a needs analysis for an, an athlete dependent on age, experience, gym experience, and the chronological and biological age yeah. is massively important. For some, some of my kids, the best thing I can do for them, for them to be better athletes is ball skills. Yeah. And different forms of locomotion just basic movement skills, isn't it? Yeah, that's learn how to move your body. Um, I I'm, I'm, don't really think I need to get many nine-year-olds to squat. No. I don't need to get many nine-year-olds to deadlift. Um, I can get help them be better athletes by giving them a little bit of structured play. The amount of room you've got with a nine-year-old kid, for example, to say, I want you to do, let's say, three sets of 20 bodyweight squats. That kid is bored by the time they get to the fourth rep of the first set. And when they're bored, now you've done a crappy coaching session. Yeah, imagine trying to do a full resistance training program with a kid. It's, that, h- it's hard. It's really hard to get that buy-in. It'd be great if you could have that buy-in. I would, I would argue it's still not the best way to help them be the best athlete. Just let play a be. game and stash the movement skills in there. And that's what like Jazz does an unbelievable job of with creating games for them that feel like they're on a playground. And they're still hitting all of those things that as you know, adult S&C coaches would call... KPIs or whatever term you want to use, they're still doing it, but they're having fun. And then you need way more buy-in, way better progress. Everybody wins. To the to the uni system's credit, PE subjects are the biggest takeaway I've had in terms of any sort of programming. 
I've, I've got an idea, and I've had mixed feedback on this from various people, some of whom are extremely smart guys. It seems to me like the exercise science model is based very much on allied health degrees. So it's like, especially at UniSA where I went, they took the physio degree and they went, how do we change this to exercise science? And then they modified what they felt they needed to. I wonder if we could do a better job by taking the PE teaching curriculum and then ditching the things we don't need and refilling it with physiology and whatever else. Because I feel like what I've seen from you put you fucking miles ahead of me from a pedagogy PE teaching point of view. I had to try and backfill that later. But you actually learned that at uni and I wish I did. And takeaways from it have been been everything for me for coaching is to find my whole coaching philosophy programming wise and how I communicate cues, tasks, everything. Especially for youth, which is where I find my passion lies. I want to be at coaching is coaching is teaching we're just trying to teach people how to use their bodies and teach people to do things that we already know and some of the best coaches i've ever worked with like shout out to dylan hicks in adelaide greg king in sydney like they were pe teachers both of them are in schools now and they were pe teachers before they were snc coaches and both of them are unbelievable teachers of everything because they can just say in ways that understand they can teach the movements down rather than without picking on people like i've seen elements when i was in america where it's like you will do this because i said so and then the only reason you get buy-in is because the system in america for so long has been you have to do what the coach says where you get someone like kingy or hicksy who are so able to get the athlete on board and the results just completely speak for themselves i think a big thing on that is being able to educate your athletes like adam said in a you know in a what he's in america you do this because i said this but if we're sitting here with our athlete and we say, you're going to do this and these are the reasons why, this is how you'll get better, this is what you're going to get from it. It may be boring, it may be repetitive, but this is why we're doing it. Not yeah. because I said so, but because of the benefits. Yeah, and I think when you see the guys that have come from the teaching background or people that have at least been exposed to it, so like even us through jazz, yeah. that element of there is another way rather than top down, do this because I said so and call me yes coach at the end of it like there's a better way than that yeah rather than do this because i fucking said so at the end of the day it's in our name we are a coach so we're teachers yeah so we are teaching people yeah and as we go i think we're learning say like you see the shift with sports coaching say afl is a really good example the move away from that dictator model towards guys who played recently guys who understand the current model there's much more of an arm around them approach rather than getting in their face and screaming at them the last year i was involved with auskick with west adelaide the last when i did it that was the last year they were going they were doing skill and drill mm-hmm. after that everything was completely games based because it provides better it produces better outcomes for for the athletes there's literally no negative to it because it gets a better outcome the kids have way more fun more engagement everything is better across the board there's no losses the only thing negative is parents who have been stuck with skill and drill their whole life and think that kids playing games is useless kids playing games is the best thing they can possibly do for their physical development i can't tell you how many soccer teams i've worked with watching them do like the most basic skill and drill things under the guise of if they can't do this now they can't do it in a game and it's like, if you literally just rolled out and gave them bibs and said, play 11 v 11, they would have a way more constructive training session. Yeah, 100%. Like, you have, you can slow down the game because it's at a play, play pace. Yeah. You've got, there's no, there's no pressure. So you can be more creative, give yourself more options, more solutions to more problems. And it's fun. So I think on that as well, like success leaves clues. And if you look at, say, like I come from a soccer background, if you look at the soccer teams that have been really successful for a long time, Barcelona, Ajax, all of them, that model has been used practically for a long time. And to prove my point from earlier, the peer review research is coming out now to back that in, which is why it's being taught at uni. But successful teams have been doing that forever. Well, not forever, but for a really long time, they've been playing games-based approach. Like the whole Spanish model of coaching, which was stolen from the Dutch model of coaching, is mini games, bigger games, full-size games. There's no skill and drill at any point of the process. Yeah, everything can be done through constraints, physical, environmental, task constraints. That's it. And I think a lot of coaches go into this industry believing that athletes will do whatever you tell them because they're motivated. So no matter what they're going to do, what you tell them because it's going to get them results. 
That is so far from the truth. It hurts. It, I would say athletes are usually more difficult to deal with than the general population. The general population will come in to get their job done. See you later. Athletes, they're going to have good days. They're going to have bad days. They're going to have things that they don't want to do. They're going to have things that they don't want to risk. The more that you can make it fun, the more that you can connect with that person and be on their level and understand what they actually want, the better you're going to be. I think everyone, everyone in here has probably had a session plan and scrapped the whole thing as soon as they have the first word from got team builder ready to go they come in how you doing and then the end of that conversation you're like, i'm gonna put that team builder down so takeaway from that little run i reckon is to just keep things simple try not to overcomplicate, um as well as just educate your clients educate your athletes so they know why they're doing it and also with your programming if you can't justify why you're doing something to yourself to the athlete to the head coach why are you doing it if you're writing a program and you're really being serious about it, you should be writing it. And in the in the time that you're writing it, you should be whying yourself to death. It's like, why is that there? And if you can't run all the way down the list of whys, scrap the exercise. Like, We've torn uni a new one in this podcast, but one thing we will say is they want justification behind why you're doing something. And that's good. Yeah, I mean, I had, I had one particular teacher, Max Nelson, who was unbelievable for that. Why, why, why? And he'd why you to death. And if you couldn't answer it, you'd be like, all right, go away and work out why. Michael Dale was really good at that as well. So, like, the unis do a good job of lots of things. Like, you, we have sort of smashed unis. It's not necessarily their fault. There are limitations to the model, like I said, and that's not uni's fault. There's things they could improve on, but there has to be a certain amount of responsibility placed on the student to go learn the things, most of which we talked about, are completely easy if you're serious about a career in this field to then go away and train yourself. Go find practical experience with it with someone and go from there because there are things the uni's getting right and if you couple the things that you can get right with the things that they get right you'll be in a really good position where to next rehab is something that's a massive gap I will say that with the caveat of I haven't been part of a true rehab degree like OT or physio or something so I don't know what they do but I think into I think the unis seem to underestimate the amount of what we do is rehab. So they seem to think it's a tiny part of the job and practically for me in my career it's been a massive part of the job. I so, come from an exercise physiology background, so we do touch on it more. Yeah. But the more you touch on it, the more you almost feel afraid to implement that yeah, because okay. you don't want to hurt the person you do dealing with people with chronic conditions so they're very they're susceptible to injury they're susceptible to having an episode during a session so you need to dumb that down as much as possible where practical coaching comes into it and that's why they put so much more placement hours in this and why you should even be doing more on top of it is to know when to push that limitation you have all these barriers that you could be gone beyond and when you have someone with a musculoskeletal injury oh, e.g a sport athlete you have to know when you're allowed to push that rehab. Yes, there are guidelines, but not everyone heals at the same time. Use those guidelines for prescription and then you figure out where the athlete is based on that and then you know when to push, you know when to push, you know what type of pain the athlete should be experiencing, um, what pain they should be avoiding, how much information is appropriate. That can only be taught through practical experience through each individual athlete and the more hours that you get underneath your belt, the better that you're gonna get. That experience develops intuition about everything correct and i think that's almost like that experience if you if you can find yourself in the company of a really good physio and learn from them because the everything i learned about rehab i learned from a physio and if you can put yourself in that and just go teach me what you know then you can come out way better on the other side because there's been times when i've been massively out of my depth and been hugely bailed out by coppo because i got lucky that i met him and got to learn from him and go from there but go in that, you know, if you're going to be exercise scientist and say, if you, you're going to graduate and you probably can't even really hold a useful conversation with a physio about an athlete in question because you, you're at such different levels with rehab. So if you can go learn that aspect of it, and even if that's sitting in the corner while they do the work, if you can find yourself in that position, that's going to be a really useful tool for your development. And we touched on it earlier, networking. If you find referral networks uh, through physios, you're already opening yourself up to a market that most people wouldn't even think. Most, no PT should be tapping into, but right. most wouldn't be tapping into. Yeah, and I, I think as well, in terms of one of the key tenets of our job is looking after the client, the athlete, the person. They are gonna need a physio at some point if they're in sports. And if you have physios that you trust, that you know in different places, so you can look after people from different places and say, 
go see my guy here, you will get looked after. That referral means a lot to the athlete because they go, okay, at least I've got some level of in with this physio rather than I don't know which one to pick and then they end up at a crap one because there's some cowboys out there. But if you can direct them to a good one, everyone's kicked the goal. Helps with upskill as well. Like, For sure. I think we'd all admit with compared to physios, our anatomy knowledge isn't, isn't there. 100%. Like, we're so not on that that's level. why we... We meet with physios regularly. We talk to our, our clients, physios, to make sure we're not what we're doing, make sure they're getting a better patient-centered care. But it helps us upskill. We need, so we can know what to get from the physio, what the physio is doing. And if we have the same ideas, if our ideas align, then good, that's confirmed. And we know that we're on the right track. Exactly. And if you can go into that interaction with the physio, with the humility to say, I've not seen this before. Can I want you to teach me why we're doing that. Yeah and come at that from the right point of view, then I've not yet met a physio who won't take you up on that. You know what I mean? I'd, I haven't met one that'll be like, be better. They're gonna say, okay, we do this because of X, Y, and Z, but, but, but. And they're generally pretty happy that you're willing to come at it from their point of view, rather than that stereotype meathead SNC coach. Yeah, exactly. Touching on this as well is you have an athlete that has injured themselves, so they're vulnerable. They're not in a good spot. They don't know what's going on. So you're there. You could potentially be their first point of call. You're the person they go to when they're vulnerable. So if you're there for them, even if you say, hey, look, I haven't dealt with this before. I know a physio that does go see him or I'm going to check with my physio. You be there for the athlete. You're building relationship. For sure. Yeah, that's fantastic. That's a good point. And our job is building relationships. If you have great relationships with your athletes, even if you're not the best coach, you're the best person for them. Yeah, correct. Yeah, you're giving a way better, way better service. I know, I know a massage guy, I know a physio, anything yeah. like that. Yeah, for Go sure. Go see my Cairo. Yeah, 100%. Like, I think that's such a massive part of the trust element, which is such a big foundational piece of all of coaching. Like, they have to trust you. And if you're, like Reese is saying, humble enough to say, I don't know, but I can send yeah. you to a guy who will. Yeah. And then you send them to, you know, like we had one client who needed a doctor we send them to illich bang things get looked after because you know someone quality they go okay i know that they're not going to bullshit me and say they know how to fix something they don't yeah exactly we don't have to be a jack of all trades we don't need to know everything about nutrition we don't need to know everything about rehab we don't need to be life coaches i know everyone thinks that if you're a pt you need to become a life coach for whatever reason or tell everyone else how to run their own business stick to your lane if you want to expand by all means but if you want to become the best SNC coach, stick to your lane and become amazing at it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm big. Like, I mean, Darren Burgess has said that on podcasts as well in terms of branching out and all of that. Like, there's there's points where you have to know stuff, like we're talking about with rehab, and you have to have a found out, like a working knowledge of nutrition and that. But if someone comes to you with complex nutrition problems, like, I got a dietitian who's great and I'm sending them there. Yeah, so. You need to put your ego aside as I'm the coach, I know what I'm yeah. doing. You put that ego aside, you have your athlete's best interests at heart, and then that's where you build these relationships. I, I think, think a really good part of it is thinking of yourself as the client. It's like if I went to my coach, because I've had various times where I've been coached by, most of my time lifting and training and that, I've been coached by somebody else. And if I go to BJ, for example, and say, hey, I've got this medical question, he tried to answer it. I'd be going, hang on, I don't know if you know that. Way rather he just sent me to a doctor. You know what I mean? So from their perspective, it's a very real chance that the SNC coach they have has the best anatomy, physiology, whatever knowledge of anyone they know. But the best thing to do is to send them elsewhere. And that's why it builds that trust. So touching on that, so what the universities could do is not necessarily teach how to rehab, but they could teach you how to learn how to rehab yeah, or where to go for that rehab. I don't know if it's something that could be taught because I'm not involved at teaching courses at the uni for a reason, but I wonder if you could almost better prepare students for that networking element of, hey, this is something you're going to need to do. That's right. And if you can learn to do that with, even if it's just the tiniest bit of, this is how you can do this, this is how you can set up a network referral, blah, 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 blah then they're better prepared to come out and go, okay, I've got a physio that I can send people to in the South, one in the North. I've got a doctor here. I've got a dietitian there. They're, they're already semi-prepared for that because I think that smacks a lot of people in the face. Yeah. Oh shit, I need to find one for them. Professional development networking events are sometimes the best and don't just stick to our lane. You don't necessarily have to go to purely exercise-based professional development. If there's a rehab course with a lot of physios there, that's an awesome chance for you to learn off of them. Yeah, definitely. I think like that workshop conference all of that stuff is huge and like mickey said don't stick 
we say stick in your lane professionally, but in terms of your learning, don't stick in your lane. Like business is a massive part of it as well. I think learning the interaction and the networking you learn from business side of house is probably better than you get anywhere else. So one thing UniSA did really well with my last year was with their placement with the Invictus program, um, we had not at risk, but we had veterans that have, you know, musculoskeletal issues, neurological issues, um, you're paired up with a client, but then this client also has a student exercise physiologist. They have a student physio. They have a student, yep. um, you know, podiatrist. Um, and then they have their sports coach outside of the uni yep. or with the Invictus Games. And they're like, here's your client. Here's the students of each allied health professional. Work with them to get the most out of your client. Yeah, so, I didn't know that. And I really like that. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, so when I went through, there was about 30 of us in the program, but I know they're growing it. Um, so you're first to network. You ha- you're not working with the tutors. You're working with these other students with a client. Yeah. Which is a lot more real world. Reese, how'd you get into the Victus program? Uh, so third year placement, we were either offered a simple gym block, which seems to be most what most people would do, um, or there were about 30 spots that went out to students to get in with the Invictus program. Yep. Um, I threw my hand up straight away. I emailed the course coordinator. I said, hey, I need to be in this program. Yeah, and that proactiveness. I was gonna say there's a lesson there. That's how Reese got a job here. Yeah, he didn't get placement here through UniSA. He well, technically, he did go through UniSA, but he actually used one of his lecturers, I believe. Yeah, to get in contact with us, and that was Max that we mentioned before. So yep. that's how you know that's how Reese comes here. So he contacted us about six months later, after doing placement here on and off once, twice a week. Yep. He landed himself a job. We can't get rid of him ever since. To the extent as well, in terms of what Mickey's saying, like it's, I think it's important to acknowledge how we talked about knowing coaches being in the room with them. Like Reese got a job that wasn't advertised because we didn't bother advertising. We had a guy that we wanted to give the job to, so he created a job. There he forced in, a job. Yeah, for sure. And if you're sitting there in the, I've got an exercise science degree. I'm going to get a job based on it. You're still waiting for jobs to be advertised, and there's way more jobs that aren't advertised than ones that are. So you've got to go put yourself in that position. If you're ever off put by putting in unpaid work, Reese and myself are both employed here by AC full time. I, from for the last two years, we both started off doing work experience. Yeah. And that wasn't through any university channel, that was through their own accord. And Jazz's job wasn't advertised either for the same reason as Reese's. Neither of those, the only job, there's only ever been one job advertised here and that was the very first one. And then from there we had enough interns come through that we could pick the ones we we wanted when we needed a, a job filled. Similar situation to Victor, Dan, Shane. Yep. They've all come here without having to apply for a job. They generate a conversation after showing their stripes on the floor. Yeah, And it happens, it doesn't happen from your resume. Mickey's told me plenty of times what my resume was like. It comes from <laughs> showing, what, showing, what you know, showing what you know, showing what you can put in place, how you interact with people, how you can learn, and what you're willing to do to get something out of it there's only so much variance you can put into a resume before it's not a resume anymore so you're still going to look the same as everybody else because it's still going to have your name and your contact details at the start still going to have a bachelor of exercise science or similar yeah and you're still hoping you roll a 12 with two dice that that resume doesn't go in the bin immediately for whatever arbitrary reason that the guy looking at the resumes is picking so you're so far behind if you're relying on the the application cycle i mean i applied for a job here but i had previous with mickey we went to uni together. We knew common people. So like, yeah, I went through the traditional application thing, but I had a head start based on all the other stuff. So if you're in that cycle and you don't know anything or anyone at that job, someone else is way ahead of you in that pile because they've got that history. And again, people people hire people that they know they can trust without spending time to develop that trust. That's it. And Keir Wenham Flat or Rugby Strength Coach on social media has put out a lot of content on that that's definitely worth looking at. And the experience-based aspect that we pretty much touched on from the very beginning, getting internship, coaching, or putting yourself in the gym. One thing that highlighted on Adam's resume that no one else had, he spent six months in the US in a college. He didn't get paid for that. (laughs) He paid for that. A lot. (laughs) And he spent that in minus 40 degree conditions. So he was in the trenches. Go to Minnesota. Don't go in winter. (laughs) If you look back at everything, his resume didn't get him a job about five, six, seven years worth of hustling got him a job. Yeah. I mean, I think when people talk about 
like Jazz said, I don't want to put in unpaid hours. It's like, that's okay. That's a perfectly reasonable thing to want, but you won't stick in this industry with that attitude. Then you're going to have to go do something. Not initially, at least. With a much clearer pathway. Because, I mean, I worked at Minnesota State, like Mickey said, for six months for zero cents pay. I worked at Adelaide United for nearly two years for zero cents pay. Then I got my first pay job. That was after nearly two and a half years of experience with a U.S. college that competed for the hockey national championship and with a professional A-league team. Like, I like to think I had pretty decent experience that taught me lots, but it still took two and a half years before I got a paid role in the industry. And two and a half years after uni? uh, A little bit overlap. Yeah. So then my first paid job was still traditional personal training work in a studio. It wasn't S&C. Like that was straight up personal training with other personal trainers. And if you are completely time poor and you don't have... 10 plus hours to put into an in, an unpaid internship or anything during the week. If, like, if you really just don't have that time, go coach sport for little kids that takes two hours a week. Yeah, correct. Anything, just absolutely anything. If you really want to work in this industry, and to be honest, like if you don't really want to work in this industry, that's cool, but you won't stick unless you do really want it. And if you really want it, you'll find a solution. Like Jazz is saying, two hours, Auskick, once a week, twice a week, whatever it is. I, in Melbourne, I worked with a, a primary school taking one hour of soccer coaching a week. And some days it's two kids, but that coaching experience is invaluable, especially yeah. if you've got none. Forget about sleeping a more uh, adequate amount of hours. Forget about having time for a social life. I remember through the last year of placement, I was getting up to do deliveries at 4 a.m. I had university starting at 9 a.m., getting home at five, doing a few coaching hours just to be able to feed myself. And then I wanted to train myself. So I was getting to bed about 12. I slept on about four hours a night for about a year, but I wouldn't take it back for any second. I think the realities of the industry are the realities of the industry. And there are people working to change it. And broadly speaking, the people I see in those positions are trustworthy and doing a good job, but it's gonna take a while for that to change. So if, if it's deal breaker, that's okay. There are much more clearly defined pathways such as physio or OT or whatever, but if sports performance, S&C, that kind of work is what you really want to do, then unfortunately you are going to have to grind it out. Anything else we want to touch on? For, because we bagged uni so much, some re- can, we'll go around and everyone just give some sort of resource that we like to use that we, where we get a lot of our information from. I think all of us here use Strength Coach Net, Network extensively. Yeah, I don't think there, there is currently nothing in the industry that remotely compares. So regardless of price, there's nothing that compares to Strength Coach Network. The fact that it costs less than Netflix means it's not even close anymore. Use Instagram. Find people who put out good information and who are critical of information as well. Yeah, I think Instagram's a double-edged sword because there's so much bullshit on Instagram, but I wonder if there's use to that because it does kind of expose you to the idea that you will come across bullshit and you have to work out what is and isn't bullshit. Are there good and bad research articles? Oh, yeah. There's good and bad Instagram pages. Man, bad research is worse than bad shit on Instagram. Develop critical thinking through research and through... You're a coach, you're a problem solver. People come with the problems, you have to find solutions. You find shit articles, you have to find solutions by finding better articles. Best advice I ever got was if you read something and it doesn't make sense, it's probably bullshit. If you've got an exercise science degree, you have at least a working understanding of anatomy and physiology, I hope. And if you should be able to read something and look at it and go, that doesn't make sense, and it's probably therefore bullshit. Um, I think one, I mean, we're bagging social media here, but I think find a sport you're interested in, find the top S&T coaches of the sport or the team, and then, you know, nine times out of 10, that coach is there for a reason, whether because they've networked or whether because they're a good coach. So you can have some faith in what they put out is good. So find a couple coaches on Instagram that work in the sport or the team you're interested in and follow them. See what they put out. Yeah, that's a really good point. As Popes has said, success leaves clues. Yeah. And it, like there, there's going to be coaches in big positions and they're going to be doing stuff that looks weird you might not agree with that's fine that's good if you see stuff and you go i don't know if i'd do that sit on that and think about why you said about resources every single person who wants to be an snc coach as early as they decide that should read ceo strength coach by ron mckeefrey 
that should be like day zero reading in O week for anyone in an exercise science degree. I'll put number two just because coaching is building relationships. Conscious coaching by Brett Bartholomew. Yeah, for sure. After that, once you can actually engage and connect with the client, then you can start implementing everything that you know, anatomy, physiology, strength conditioning. You need to be able to connect with that client first and then you're going to get the best results from Yeah, And don't be afraid to message people on Instagram, especially these, you know, high-end strength, these high-end coaches. They were in your position once. Most of them are happy to reply. Even if it's just something small, they'll reply. I, I've got friends who have emailed or um, Instagram DM'd like A1 coaches who are known on massive platforms with, you know, tens of thousands of followers and got replies within the week. Like the worst thing that can happen is they, the worst thing that's ever happened to me trying that is that the guy didn't reply. Cool. Yeah. Shit happens. So, yeah. I mean, A, you're learning from this coach that you respect and B, they know who you are. Yeah. You miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Cool. That's <laughs> <laughs> We're going to finish off with quotes, are we? I think, yeah. <laughs> no, I've, got, I've done mine. I'm good. Uh, this has probably gone longer than intended, but hopefully you guys got plenty of benefit. Let's touch on everything that we uh, looked over today. First and foremost, get yourself in the gym. Learn, program, train, experience the exercise for yourself. Adam, from there. That's a big one. Go get experience. That includes getting yourself in the gym. Talk to people. Go actually meet coaches. Go find yourself in a practical situation, ideally a gym and a field. And the field is completely open-ended. It could be like Jazz said, Auskick. could be working with a sprints coach, track and field. It could be anything. As long as you're out there seeing and doing coaching, um, don't get over-reliant on peer-reviewed evidence because you are going to be 10 years behind at a minimum. Learn to look at different resources from different places. Work out what's bullshit, what's good, because they're not the same thing. And that goes for peer-reviewed research as well. There's a lot of shit peer-reviewed research. Don't overcomplicate. That practical experience extends to rehab as well. It's about everything we cover. Beautiful. Guys, wish you all happy Easter. And like I said, we're going to be looking to do this every single week. So from the team at Australian Athletic Centre and myself, you guys have a good day.